In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hello, and welcome to the new and improved Craigslist podcast. To listen, simply input the code listed at the bottom of your 27B-64. If your code is inoperative or excised, you'll have to acquire a new code from Information Adjustments. Go to room DZ105 in the Information Retrieval Building, and they'll be delighted to give you the form you'll need to get the proper form to Information Adjustments. Happy listening, and have a nice day. And remember, the Ministry of Podcasts is listening in as you're listening in. This has not been a recording little glimpse of our Orwellian future, Carla. <laughs> Hello, Craig's listeners. Hello, Craig's listener. Boy, we are getting close to the end of this sucker. How do you feel about that, Carla? I feel such relief. Do you really? <laughs> like when you have to pee a lot and uh-huh. you, you have to hold it because you're in a car trip for... You're, and there's like traffic and the, the, there's construction. So you're stuck in traffic and you ha- you're like, I really have to pee. And then like two hours you get to your, later you get to the destination and you run to the bathroom and you pee, that relief that you feel, that's uh-huh. how I feel about Just constantly, you're feeling that constantly now. Uh, I, of course, have a pee bottle in my car, so I never have to, uh, <laughs> to have that feeling. Yeah, I've really been meaning to talk to you about that. It's, you have to pour it out afterwards. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope, I keep them, I save them. <laughs> I also have a lot of Gatorade bottles in there, so it gets a little confusing, confusing at times. It is, it's yeah. confusing. Craig's listeners, we are up to number three <laughs> on Craig's not list. Like that bit that we just did. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting into the top three. So win, place, show. This is this is the show category, um, or the bronze medal winner, I, I suppose. Uh, so this is episode ninety-eight. We're up to number three on the list, and it's a nineteen eighty-five film by Terry Gilliam called Brazil. But to help us do that, we have a guest. Oh boy, do we have a guest! <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, this might, can we classify our guest as an icon, perhaps? Iconic? He is iconic. <laughs> in uh, Of all the three people in our living room, I think he is the most iconic. <laughs> uh, he's a great friend of ours, and he is a actor, improviser, and uh, impresario. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and his name is Nick Armstrong. Yes. Hello. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Elvis was in the room. Yeah, that's true. Oh yes. yes. I do have a velvet Elvis in the living room, Elvis. so I suppose <laughs> technically Benny is also in the living room. He's yes. pretty iconic. Yes, Elvis. Yes. So I'm gonna say Elvis Benny. There's a Joan Miro painting. Oh, so yeah, you know Miro. Um, oh, that P joke. <laughs> oh. I thought what? you were going to vomit. I looked at your face. <laughs> the Gatorade got me. <laughs> Not a joke, but uh, <laughs> Nick, uh, we've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while. Sorry that, it, that it's taken this long. I got the bronze. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We wanted to save you for a good one. Yeah. And, we uh, did like schedule this like a year ago, right? Or we started talking about it? I think we ago? did. I, yeah, yeah. We've been talking off and on probably for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm excited. Thank you for... 
And I don't know why we paired you with this movie specifically. Or I think we sent you options. You sent you, me options. I and you picked was, this one. Was it like Metropolis or like was it? It, it seems like it would be similar. But like, <laughs> it was probably Manhattan. Th- there was yeah, Manhattan. That was one. Of them, I think, I think, Nobody uh, wanted to do Manhattan. <laughs> I've seen Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People ran screaming from the Woody Allen suggestions and uh, right to the Terry Gilliam. Uh, I mean, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty problematic himself, but uh, yes, maybe less so. Is he officially canceled or is he just problematic? I think he's just an old cranky man and he's also like a provocateur. Uh-huh. So he just likes to say things that are going to get under people's skin. Yeah. He's the American I think. of the Monty Python All right. group. Well, so. John Cleese has become problematic too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think so. I think, you know, these are just guys who uh, did edgy comedy yeah. 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're still kind of self-appointed uh, to to do edgy comedy, but the the bar has moved. Yeah. Since then, and I think they've always been shady, right, Terry Gilliam? Terry, yeah, he does. I meant done, to like like writing this movie or something. I saw something like he stole the idea or something. Oh. Yeah, his original co-writer, uh, he didn't want to credit uh, that guy. The, the yeah. movie is credited to Gilliam, Charles McKeon, and Tom Stoppard yeah, are, right. are the credited Ooh. screenwriters uh, on, on this. <laughs> um, but uh, Nick, uh, why, the, why this movie other than just to not have to do a Woody Allen movie? Well, yeah, I think I think, uh, I think of, yeah, well, I like I don't like Woody Allen anymore, <laughs> but his movies are fine. Uh, this one's fun. I know it's fun. And like, I hadn't seen it since college and I didn't remember it. And the title th- throws you off a lot. So like, yes. I was like, Oh, let's, I want to watch that. I love the Monty Python, Terry Gilliam and all that stuff. So time bandits. <laughs> now you remembered it as being fun. Yeah. Was it actually fun? In you know what? It? Honestly, I did have a lot of fun watching it. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, it, it definitely reminds me of what the future looks like from the eighties point of yes, view. Yes. I thought that too. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. But, yeah. I, I think it's one of my fun. quotes was something about Steve Jobs. <laughs> It's like this is clearly before Steve Jobs was a thing. They did not contact Steve Jobs for yeah, for the for, aesthetics of this. Yeah. I mean, just the opening, you're like, oh, I don't think I remember this, <laughs> you know, and then you're like, oh, I do. Like it's just like two different movies. Yeah. So it's been at least twenty years since you had seen it. Oh yeah, then. yeah. Probably. Sure. I don't like want to presume when you went to college. College, like yeah, years and years ago. So this movie uh, came out at the tail end of 1985. It nearly did not come out at all. Uh, the working title for this movie, by the way, was 1984 and a half. Makes sense. Ah. So it, it's kind of uh, – think of it as a mashup between George Orwell's 1984 and Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, similarly to Eight and a Half, which of course we covered, as you remember, Carla. Don't remember. <laughs> Number eight. I had to pee. <laughs> it has a lead character who's constantly escaping into his dreams. dreams. Uh, and a film version of Orwell's 84, uh, 80, I, I like to shorten it to 84, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of Orwell's 1984 did come out the previous year in 84, so Gilliam had to scrap his idea to call it 1984 uh-huh. and a half and chose to Call it Brazil. You know, the word Brazil, other than it being sung prominently yep. at the very beginning of the movie, Brazil, <laughs> is never spoken. Uh, the, the connection to the title, if you don't know that that, uh, that 
uh, big band song that they play throughout the movie is the standard Brazil, yep. uh, then you might be a little perplexed <laughs> as to why that's the title of the movie. Right. Uh, I guess it kind of represents the escapism and it's just the, the pure opposite of the kind of dour gray life that, uh, Sam Lowry leads. Uh, is the exoticism of uh, Brazil and the the romance of the the old you know forties song? Uh, so the- weird. <laughs> I wish they would sing every movie title though. I know, like, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, to the same tune. Yeah, it's always true. <laughs> Twelve years a slave. <laughs> Jesus, like bad. You're like oh. <laughs> So Sam Lowry, played by Jonathan Price, is kind of uh, at a dead-end, paper-pushing job uh, working for Mr. Kurtzman, played by Ian Holm. His obviously comes from a wealthy family. Catherine Hellmond is his mother. <laughs> Mona. Uh, who's <laughs> Mona. Angela. <laughs> She was the Tony. Tony. <laughs> yes, those were all characters from Who's the Boss. Thank you. This is about who's the boss, right? Uh, perhaps the titular boss. We'll, we'll never know, but she may, she may have been the titular boss. I mean, there's an argument to be made for sure. <laughs> sure. You know, we don't have time to litigate who the boss is. Again, it's been, it's many people have attempted and no one has uh, succeeded, but uh, she plays Sam's mother in this movie. Uh, always trying to get him, uh, promoted to a higher level. This is a very kind of bureaucratic dystopian world. And it is kind of a vision of the future from the eighties, but it's also kind of a vision of the future from the forties. So it's, uh, in trying to kind of recreate the, the tone and look of Orwell's 1984, which I think was written in 1948. Uh, the look is very kind of post-war Britain kind of dour and, you know, a lot of, factories and people are wearing kind of film noirish yeah. you know trench coats and hats and everything so you're really kind of disoriented by the look of this movie into exactly where it and when it's supposed to take place it and i love the titles at the beginning that say 8 49 p.m yeah. somewhere in the 20th century yeah. that's that's all where that's I'm, all that I, we I, know i just said yeah but i actually missed that part <laughs> Yeah. It's right at the beginning of the movie, Carla. Yeah, no, because I asked you later when it took place. Yeah. <laughs> now, Carla, though, you did make your way through this entire movie. I did. Yay. I finished the whole thing. <laughs> and you had not seen I had never seen it. Never seen it. I thought it was supposed to be scary. I, for some reason, I thought it was going to be scary. Uh-huh. It kind of Or is, like upsetting. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is. <laughs> but like, uh, what am I trying to say? Like more hopeless. Oh. Mm. That kind of scary, like more um, nihilistic, maybe. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to be, and there there was a lot more romance and like hope and positivity like than I expected. Dark comedy, and there's jokes, yeah. jokes, yeah, it's jokes, like it's got exactly. That Monty Python vibe. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I I do think it has kind of bleak and nihilistic. Tendencies. Yeah. It does. Yeah, you're right for sure. And I mean, I guess you can interpret the ending, which we'll talk about in different types of ways of like whether that was positive or not, you yeah. know, or hopeful or, or not, um, or bleak. But I, I think I was expecting more of like a, um, what's the movie with the eyeballs peeled back? Clockwork, <laughs> Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I think I was expecting more of like a Clockwork Orange for some reason. Right. 
And I will avoid seeing anything like that as much as possible. Even with your eyes peeled open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, definitely those are kind of like icons of like dystopian, you know, futuristic right. cinema. But this this has a much lighter tone to it, I think. Uh, were you a Time Bandits fan? I mean, yeah. I, I haven't seen that a ton and probably for a long time as yeah. well. But I remember as a kid really liking it. So we covered that on the list as well. Like five years ago. <laughs> five, five, <laughs> wow. It was one of the earliest it's movies. A- yeah. So that was a while ago that we covered it. Uh, but that definitely was a favorite film of mine. I was probably 12 or 13 when it came out. And so me and my group of friends were eagerly anticipating Brazil. Uh, I, I think my clique in high school was much more into Monty Python than I was. I remember definitely movie nights where we watched Life of Brian and Holy Grail and, and Meaning of Life, but I don't think I'd really seen the Monty Python TV show that much. But I went with a group of five or six friends. We all crammed into one 70s VW bug <laughs> and drove to downtown DC. Now I grew up in Northern Virginia, probably about a half hour out of DC, but it might have well have been, you know, three hours away, uh, because we were just a very kind of sheltered suburban life. So I associate, uh, this is the first movie that I went into the city to see it's something wow. you couldn't see at the multiplex. Oh, wow. And I think we've covered some of those other movies like Blue Velvet and mm-hmm. um, Sid and Nancy was one, not on the list, but that was another movie like at the time that we had to go into to Georgetown to, to see that. <laughs> yeah. But so I just have vivid memories about going in. I think the movie theater was called The Uptown. Uh, might have been called the Biograph, but Uptown Funk? it was called the Uptown Funk. You're right. And it was the smelliest movie theater. What? <laughs> uh, but I think me and my group of friends were all blown away by this movie and it immediately, I think, went into my top five at different points in my life. It's been my number one movie. So, I mean, this is a, a movie that came out when I was 16. Uh, I just remember seeing it. For the first time in a very vivid way. And still to this day, this has some of the just starkest and most memorable movie imagery that, that I can think of, you know. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people that I dated in college, maybe this was their favorite movie. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels very specific. And then you kept trading up. (laughs) Yeah. But it feels like specific to like a, a certain like film nerd kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, even though it came out that way. <laughs> uh, I just mean it like people who've watched a lot of films seem to really dig this movie. Yeah. I, I remember, I think seeing it with my best buddy at home, we'd watch all the Monty Python movies and they were like, Oh, let's watch this thinking it was, I think a Monty Python movie. Right. And, uh, we loved it. It was in the time when you, we had to rent a VCR mm-hmm. and the tapes and get them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like rewind. we didn't have a, we didn't have a VCR, so you'd rent it. Could you rent a, uh, one from Blockbuster? Uh, well, it was or like was the, the local, local store. Placer video or something like that. I do that. remember those times. Yeah. There was we like, it was a small time on. when they were coming out and they were too expensive, I think. It's like to 85, buy. 86. Yeah. yeah. And we would rent movies for the weekend. So I'd like, I always rented Superman because I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, we rented Brazil and I think like a Nightmare on Elm Street something. <laughs> one of them. It, I remember having Brazil in there and just being like, I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. You know, something that made me laugh in a weird way, but also like 
made me think and like the design and just like taking me on a journey was pretty cool. Yeah. I think a lot of 80s movies kind of did that too at the time. You could talk about like Back to the Future and things it was like world building kind of things. Yeah. The, uh, I, I think this is almost like a Rosetta Stone to unlock movie history <laughs> because there's so many clear influences that went into it and so many movies that this has clearly influenced, uh, as well. Um, Dark City is one that very much like approximates the look of Brazil. Do you guys remember that movie at all? Dark with, City is that just it's like from the late nineties with Kiefer, Kiefer yes, Sutherland is I in do. it and Rufus yep. Sewell. Yes, yeah. Um, and uh, the filmmaker Jean Pierre Genet, who did Amelie, he made a couple of movies, Delicatessen and City of Lost Children, that yep. very much have the same kind of tone and look as Brazil. But Gilliam, of course, started out as a animator, as a cartoonist. You know, he did all of the, the cartoons that were interstitials throughout the Monty Python episodes. And this does have kind of a cartoonish feeling to it. So there's Looney Tunes influence and, uh, kind of being influenced by Soviet cinema, like, uh, Potemkin yeah. and, uh, like silent film, like Chaplin and Keaton influences on this movie as well. And I, I don't think it's accidental that Jonathan Price is a dead ringer for Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy uh, oh, as, yeah. as well. Yeah. I remember taking a girlfriend to see this in the late 90s Whatever. in Chicago. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, they, they did a re-release. I saw it at the Music Box in Chicago. Nice, big, beautiful theater where they show a lot of revivals. And then I think this was the time where the, uh, they were editing back in Gilliam's European cut, which has about 15 more minutes of footage. Yeah. In it, and afterwards, uh, this was not a great relationship anyway. This was the beginning of the end, if not the end. She said, "Why the fuck did you make me watch that?" Oh, <laughs> oh god. my gosh! I can't wait to find out which one. <laughs> wow, That's so mean. You and hurt me. Wait, are you sure eyes. it wasn't me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's been like every episode. Kind Why of, the f did you make me? I watch have this? had the reaction to some of the movies, quite honestly. <laughs> a couple. I mean, you've been a good sport. What would be part. what would be the why did the f did you make me blue watch velvet? It? I really blue really velvet. despised, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Then there was that one that Todd and I watched. Yeah, the rules of the game. The rules of the game, which is the most <laughs> boring movie I've ever seen in my life. That's that ho- weird. Ho- which one's that? That's a French film from the nineteen oh, thirties. Okay. From the nineteen thirties, okay. where you yeah. get to watch them basically just shoot at birds. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's the movie. That's interesting that that's your takeaway from <laughs> that's it. That's all but. I remember about it. I promise you. I don't remember one other thing about <laughs> yes. it. But it's not graphic or... And I remember you being like, this was revolutionary at the time. There's no special effects here. They're actually killing the birds. And I was oh, like, oh, well, this oh. is awful. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say it's not violent or misogynistic, but... <laughs> Maybe, well, maybe it is. Maybe it is, yeah. However, I, this was important to me that you two watch the version of Brazil that I am familiar with mm-hmm. because that version that I took the girlfriend to was uh, Gilliam's European cut and it does have a different ending and it's a very small difference but I think it makes an enormous difference in how the movie lands. Okay. So I, I want to get into that a little later in the, the podcast but I will say that she missed one aspect of the movie that I that is very important to me that makes the difference between it being nihilistic and hopeful, mm-hmm. uh, I think. So I'll, I'll tell you a little more about okay. that later. As we're recording this, by the way, that this is a couple of weeks before it'll come out, but Terry Jones of Monty Python just passed away yeah. Yeah. this That's week. Yeah, very sad. 
As John Cleese said, two down, four to go. <laughs> Did he really? Yes, that's <laughs> he that. Honestly, I'm sure they would all laugh at that. <laughs> but Michael Palin, uh, of course, uh, Gilliam's uh, Python cohort, has a great supporting role yes. in this, uh, as well as a torturer. But he's the uh, the friendly, uh, benign yeah. face of, of Michael Palin. That's great, yeah. Yep. And... Uh, the script got to Robert De Niro at some point that is, in the in the mid eighties, and De Niro really wanted to play the Michael Palin part, and Gilliam had to tell him, uh, "No, I've already cast that, my buddy Michael Palin." So, <laughs> De Niro's like, "I got Palin." <laughs> Probably one of the few times that De Niro lost a part out to yes. to Michael Palin, but so De Niro agreed to play the smaller part of Harry Tuttle, the uh, revolutionary heating engineer. Yeah. It I is. think that's a better part. I kind of, I knew that at some point in my life, I knew that Robert De Niro was in this movie and then I totally forgot. And it really took me like two minutes to realize it, it was him. It did too, to me. <laughs> it did too. I was like, oh yeah, because I, I wanted to go in it with a clean slate. Yeah. So I didn't like look up anything and I watched it. I was like, after like a minute, I was like, oh my gosh, it's De Niro. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> He's so normal and yeah. fun in it. <laughs> and funny, yeah, like yeah. in a way. It really is a different part for him. Yeah. I mean, later when he started doing the comedies, like, you know, Midnight Run and uh, analyze this and meet the parents. It, he's very funny. And meet the Fockers. Meet meet the Fockers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't eliminate Meet the Fockers. <laughs> maybe, maybe the greatest. Uh, yes, you covered it three times on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's on my list. <laughs> uh, but those are comedies almost because he's doing a parody of his tough guy performance. But he seems very comfortable. In, in this role. It does, yeah. Uh, apparently though, they took two weeks to shoot his parts when they had scheduled one week, uh, that he was a giant pain in the ass. I'm sure Gilliam uh, was also a pain I in the ass. I gotta think it probably goes both ways. Yeah. I, I think they butted heads a lot on this, but it's worth it because De Niro's great and he's, he's got that same mustache that he had in King of Comedy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in this one and he is in kind of like a work suit with the like thing over his head when you first see him so it does kind of take a while to recognize that it's him de niro tied for the lead of the most appearances by any actor on craig's list uh with oh. six with another actor from this movie ian holm is also in six of my oh, wow. movies so ian holm plays mr kurtzman so mr yeah. holm and mr de niro congratulations okay. can we can we what are the ian holm movies on it Okay, so the De Niro movies are the four Scorsese movies. Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, Goodfellas, plus Godfather Part 2, plus Brazil. Okay. Ian Holm. How many can you name? This Brazil. The seek the the sweet the sweet hereafter. The sweet hereafter, hereafter. is the one movie where he's the lead. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Return of the King specifically. Of the King. He's Bilbo Baggins. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's what half. Well, he's also in Time Bandits. He oh, plays right. Napoleon yeah. in Time Bandits. Oh shoot! Uh, he is uh, bite your teeth into the ass of life from uh, Big Night. Oh yes, yes. He's the he's the rival uh, Italian restaurant owner in Big Night, <laughs> and he is Fluellen, the Welsh soldier in Henry V. Oh right. I didn't finish Henry V. The I? worst Henry of them all. <laughs> it's like Star Trek V. <laughs> did I watch well, Henry V? Henry's fifth? two and four are good. Yeah, and Henry's one, three, and I back in the habit. I like but I can't remember for the life of me if I watched Henry V. Well, you remember the, the wedding scene at the end between him and Emma Thompson, right? You made it all the way to the end of that, didn't you? <laughs> I really don't remember. Oh, <laughs> should we watch it again? No. Oh, it's such a great, such a great movie. So I would even say like Ian Holmes' most famous 
uh, film appearance is probably Alien, where he plays oh, the uh, shoot, spoilers, man. but he's the uh, the android right. uh, on board the ship right. in Alien. I don't have Alien on my list, and his one Oscar nomination was for Chariots of Fire. Don't have Chariots wow. of Fire on my list. Do you That's like crazy. Alien? What's up? Do I did like Alien. Me too. I just forget that these people are in them. Yeah. Because <laughs> then I'm like, oh yeah. Well, like De Niro, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, where do we go from here? Uh, <laughs> You're the host. <laughs> We're going to talk about Alien for an hour now? <laughs> uh, but back in terms of imagery, just like that, yeah. that image of, of Catherine Holman's face being stretched oh, out, so getting the, the plastic so cool. surgery, or Sam fighting himself in the, the mirror yeah. is almost like lifted from a Chaplin movie. Yeah. The art direction of this, um, like Gilliam is so great at just like kind of making the frame like crowded of like there's always something going on and there's these kind of like Soviet-esque propaganda posters everywhere yeah. to remind you of the oppressive society that they live in. And then it segues back and forth between Sam's reality and Sam's fantasies. Yeah. So he has this dream sequence of him as like this guy with wings defending this damsel in distress from this giant samurai creature and it's weird and trippy and dreamlike (laughs) and and cool like those stone arms that come come reaching out of the ground to to grab them it's really amazing so never-ending story Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) the rock guy Apparently, by the way, the clouds that they use at the beginning and end of the movie were cut out of Never Ending Story. The, or those uh, were those were extra clouds that they had what? lying around. From. I bet you those arms could have been from Never Ending Story too. That's crazy. Wait, how does that work? They're just like in the editing bay, and they're like, "Oh, Never Ending Story is next door." They got some clouds they're not using. <laughs> they got some clouds they're not using. Terry Gilliam's like, "We need those clouds. Let's go right clouds, now." Clouds. I need clouds. <laughs> But I, cool. obviously no CGI here. Like you can yeah. tell that they spent some money on this movie. It's yeah. Really neat. That was my favorite. I mean, like it's just amazing to watch and just be transported to the, anytime a movie can transport you to a world that's like created so well shot like that. It's really cool. That's what I really attached to in this yeah, movie. I agree. Cool. And so the girl that he sees in his dreams, uh, is played by Kim Greist or Greist. I'm not sure yeah, how, how you say how her say name. Or Graced. Graced, perhaps. Greist, maybe. Greist. Uh, G. We'll just say G. <laughs> Kimmy G. Kimmy G. <laughs> and she was a model who had just kind of started acting at this point. And she ended up doing a fair amount of kind of 80s movies after this. She's yeah. in. Uh, Manhunter. Yeah. She's oh, yeah. in Throw Mama from the Train. She's uh-huh. in Punchline with Tom Hanks and Sally Field. Yeah. But she's really kind of dropped off the face I of the earth fi- since then. I couldn't then. find anything about her s- since like 2001. She's just Like gone. she just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she's still doing something, <laughs> but like she hasn't done any movies or Wow. Like any public appearances, there's, a story there. there's nothing to find about her. There's it's very a story strange. There. Like nobody is even because every once in a while with people like that, you'll find an article where it's like, whatever happened to this person? Yeah. And some yeah. reporters track them down. I can't find you anything. You can't find like that. that on Kimmy G. <laughs> no, Kimmy, Kimmy G, where are you? <laughs> Come on, what if the she's show. listening? I, I hope she's a big fan of the podcast. Uh, Kim, we enjoyed your work in this movie. Yes. Uh, so she's kind of in a wig for the fantasy sequences, and then has kind of like a short butch '80s haircut. Yep. Yeah. In uh, in reality, 
her neighbor is murdered by the state uh, because a, a fly drops into yep. a printer so at the crazy. beginning of the movie. And so you get a typo where they're looking for Archibald Tuttle, Harry Tuttle, played by Robert De Niro. Uh, they instead apprehend Archibald Buttle. Oh, and so she kind of goes on a quest so through the bureaucracy and she's kind of shuttled back and forth between these different agencies and ministries. Uh, and that's kind of what I was trying to paradise with my little opening bit there. The, the oh, amount we got of, it. did you get that? Because oh, it, it was subtle, but, uh, <laughs> subtle, very subtle. <laughs> now, of course, I'm thinking, you know, we're, we're getting closer and closer to Orwellian doublespeak and misinformation. Yeah. So that's, uh, the satirical point of view still has some power, but it's maybe a little less funny to think about right. now, oh, yeah. now that we're living that reality. resonates still. I yes, thought, I thought sure. it still felt very relevant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, a couple, whenever, well, when Trump was elected, didn't the sales in, for 1984, the, the novel, like, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden it was on the top 10 it's list like, of the New York Times. <laughs> that's something to hit on the campaign trail. Yeah, exactly. Did you buy me 1984? I did for Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> you bought him the book in 84. Yeah. Uh, 84 so. yeah, that's how romantic our life is, folks. Yeah. Um, and I took it on when we worked on the Joko cruise that Jonathan Colton does. I took yeah. it with me. I started reading it then, and it's great. Yeah, like, it is great. I read it in high uh, It's a really great book and also very prescient, of course. But it was also – it was too much. It was too heavy for me. Yeah. Like it was too accurate. Well, and it's it, been a couple years now. You can maybe go back to it. <laughs> I do now that I've rewatched Brazil. Want to go back and see how much they stole they specifically from yeah. Orwell because I, I think they took a lot. Yeah, uh, I, I don't remember it very too clearly, but it's yeah. When I was in high school, I remember like getting really upset about it <laughs> about that book. Yeah. See, so it even felt relevant in the nineties. <laughs> The uh, late nineties. The late nineties. It sucks that that book has to keep being relevant. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. You know, like. <sighs> so it did get an Oscar nomination for Gilliam and uh, Tom Stoppard for best uh, screenplay, and it was also nominated for art direction, which is kind of pretty yeah, makes sense. pretty unsurprising. Yeah. The, the art direction is spectacular. This movie was nearly not released and it was only released because of the pressure that Gilliam put on the studio by doing screenings, kind of rogue screenings himself. He was asked uh, by, I think, USC or, or UCLA to do a film class and he started secretly uh, sneaking in his work in progress, Brazil, to shows to the students. And then he started inviting local LA critics to come in and see the screenings. That's hilarious. Uh, That's kind of weird. It's like, hey, we're not going to teach. Uh, just watch this thing I'm working on. Like, <laughs> and, and let me know, like on a scale of one to ten, let me know. <laughs> oh, Terry's so, showing his movies again. <laughs> so Sid Sheinberg was the president uh, or chief executive of Universal Pictures. And he wanted to have a happy ending to the movie. And Gilliam wanted it to have the ending that, that he wanted it to have. And so Scheinberg did his own edit, which is like an hour and a half long. And it's referred to by Brazil fans as the Love Conquers All version. And so we'll, we'll get into this, uh, with the end, but there, there's this whole sequence with, um, Sam and Jill, uh, reuniting and, uh, and love conquering the hall. And it turns out to be a dream sequence. It's only, it's only in his head. You know, that's the, the kind of the, the big twist at the end of the movie. Well, there's no twist. 
in the Love Conquers All version, they really do uh, escape and then fly off into the sunset Jeez. together. So I have the Criterion three disc version, Ooh. which which you can watch the entire Love Conquers All version, and it's just a mess. Uh, it wow. really is. But also, I think that Gilliam's version, the European version, has about 15 minutes of deleted scenes that aren't really necessary. Oh, mm. And again, it has that ending, which I will talk about. I promise you <laughs> that, uh, that, that I will. So uh, Sid Sheinberg is also credited in the credits as worst boy. So uh, you, best boy is a common mm-hmm. uh, crew member. So yeah. Gilliam's kind of snuck in a credit uh, for worst boy, which was Shin- Sid Sheinberg. Oh. So it won the L.A. Film Critics Award, and that kind of pressured Universal to actually release it. So they gave the film of the year to a movie that had not been released yet. Wow. Wow. <laughs> He just has all sorts of trouble getting movies out. <laughs> yeah, have you seen Lost in La Mancha? Uh uh-uh. uh. Lost he in La Mancha. Must La- be a total prick. There must be something going on because like what this Don Quixote, the, what's the movie he's been trying to get out for years and years? Well, he did release it. The, did, he oh, he, he did? made it with okay. Jonathan Price as the Don Quixote figure and Adam Driver is the uh, the younger guy and that it. came out? Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw it. Oh, I saw was it. Was it good? It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he'd been trying to get that out for like 20 years or something. Well, he was making a movie with Johnny Depp and the French actor Jean Rochefort oh. uh, as Don Quixote. So the the man who killed Don Quixote is the movie that he that's eventually true. released. So that's what Lost in La Mancha is about. They're literally uh, shooting the movie and the guys who were shooting the DVD behind the scenes footage – uh, got all this stuff of, uh, the movie falling apart literally before your wow. eyes. So it, it is one of the best, uh, and most bummer <laughs> movies about making a movie. Yeah. I gotta watch that. Yeah. I, I think Gilliam's a difficult guy, but I think he's also like, he's a big dreamer and he has very specific ideas of what he wants it to be, wants. but he needs money to right. realize yeah. his, his visions. I mean, his movies are extraordinarily ambitious and they have to have a certain look and feel to them. Yeah. And so I, I think he kind of relies on a lot of European finance. But I don't think he must, he hasn't had the success enough to maybe warrant getting that. No. Like, yeah. I mean, certainly Time Bandits was a big hit, which, yeah. which allowed him to make Brazil. Uh, I really love his three movies after this, which are The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, yeah. The Fisher King, and Twelve Monkeys, I think are, are, are all yeah, really great. Definitely. I think Twelve Monkeys must have that made, success, made some money. It became yeah. a TV show, I think, too. And, uh, The Brothers Grimm, I think, made a fair amount of money yeah, internationally maybe. as well. But yeah, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I don't know how much that made, but uh, I think cult classic. Yeah, I've never seen that. Uh, it's worth seeing. It's, it's <laughs> definitely worth seeing. It's, yeah. it's fun. It's definitely filmed. There's well. so much content though, and it's like, is it if it's worth seeing? Is it? Do I have to see it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like nobody's you know, like you have you to see have it. To. You don't have to. You don't have to. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement on my part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But as a Gilliam fan, I, I enjoyed watching it. But it's it's another one that's kind of and it's it's an assault on the senses. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know it's it's kind of nonstop. It's Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro as uh, Doctor Gonzo and uh, and Mister Hyde and Mister Hyde, <laughs> Miss Piggy <laughs> and Doctor Gonzo. <laughs> Piggy. <laughs> Well, let's go, let's go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call 
the Carla's Quotes. Mm-hmm. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. I love the opening to this movie. So you have the the clouds. You have the, the 849 somewhere in the 20th century. You have that guitar that... That version is by a guitarist named Jeff Moldar, which he recorded in the late 60s, I think. Um, but that ver- kind of very distinctive guitar sound. And then that Brazil, <laughs> where hearts are entertaining you. Um, that song is a, uh, I believe the title is Aquarela do Brazil is the full title. Watercolors of Brazil is oh. what that translates to in Portuguese. Uh, and, and then there's kind of like this, uh, little TV, uh, to kind of introduce you into the, the state controlling everything, central services. Hello. I'd like to talk to you about ducks. Uh, yeah. and then it explodes and then you get kind of a, uh, orchestral, uh, score and you get that huge, uh, neon Brazil logo, yeah. which was, which is a very cool logo. So I, just a, a series of events kind of happening at the beginning of this movie that kind of grabbed me right away. Yeah, it takes you right away. Yeah. <laughs> it's it like you're going to be somewhere else. Yeah. I think that was really cool. And then it kind of shows that guy in the room uh, who's dealing with the fly. Yes. Uh, and Carla said, Mark Evan Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> totally would get that part. He would, totally he would get, get that part now. Yeah. 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 Bastard. Um, <laughs> That I forget that guy's name. I think it's Ray Collins, maybe, but he's Elton John's drummer. Oh, is that guy really? Yes, he was just around. Like, hey, you <laughs> want to do this? He was just around. Oh, I'm yeah. just drumming yeah. for just Elton drum. John, but I can come on over and do this. But I'm also an actor in my <laughs> spare time. Oh, I don't have any lines. <laughs> Here's something to throw out there. Everybody's wondering whether Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Is Brazil a Christmas movie? Interesting. Ooh. It seems to all take place during Christmas, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it could be a Christmas movie more than I would think. Uh, Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. As they're abducting Mr. Buttle at the beginning, they they say, and a very Merry Christmas. Yeah, that was crazy. She's yeah. just like traumatized. <laughs> um, the, the tracking shot uh, is justifiably famous here too, which is when they introduce Mr. Kurtzman's office, that tracking shot that goes all the way down through the office and just guys crossing in front of the frame, yeah. uh, wheeling carts back and forth, putting papers on desks and everything. And then it kind of... Uh, Reveals Ian Holm at the top of the stairs. That every time they were in that office area and there were like those long hallways, it reminded me of Beetlejuice. <laughs> oh yeah, from the, from <laughs> yeah, the with, past life or whatever. Exactly with the guys. Oh yeah, um, running around and filing papers and the, the guy, guy who, on a, like, yeah, tire, like floating across <laughs> who goes through the center yeah. of the wall in a little crack or whatever. Yeah. Felt very similar. I mean, I don't think they're going to be a Tim Burton without a Terry Gilliam, right? I mean, right. Tim Burton also True. kind of started out in animation. That's right, Tim Burton. <laughs> Do you hear that? Yeah. Tim Burton also started out in animation as well. I mean, there must be an influence there. For mm-hmm. sure. And I think the, I just rewatched Hudsucker Proxy recently too, and the Coens must have been influenced as well I by the kind of say the that. depiction of big bureaucracy, you know, big kind of heartless building spaces as well. And then I love that everybody's so busy. This tracking shot setting up how busy everybody in the office is. Ian Holm goes into the office and they immediately stop and start watching TV. (laughs) (laughs) And he's constantly trying to catch them watching the Western that they're watching. Uh, And he opens the door and they all go back to busy again. It's, it's really funny. Uh, and then there's somebody who's not there at the office. Sam Lowry's supposed to be there, but he's not. Instead, he's lost in his dreams. Aww. And then we cut to this first dream sequence, and Carla said, what is going on? 
was very confusing at first. And then it reveals kind of his automated flat where he's got like the toast that comes out and then the coffee like pours over the toast. Like everything's fucked up. It's like Doc Brown's uh, kitchen. Yeah. Yes. Back in the future. <laughs> Which came first. No. <laughs> Everything that's supposed to be working in is not in Carlos said. It's like Pee Wee's Playhouse up in there. Like in uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Like at the beginning, True. right? Yeah. yeah. He makes breakfast with the weird yeah. stuff. He has his stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, thanks, guys. <laughs> Again, Tim Burton stealing from uh, yeah, from Terry yeah. Gilliam. Uh, though Pee-wee's Big Adventure may have come out the same year, actually, right? Maybe. So maybe. Back to the Future came out that time. Maybe they were just all we got. They're all working together. Stuff. Yeah, we got to do like a good <laughs> breakfast scene. They all got together. <laughs> In 1985, everybody was thinking about future breakfast. Yeah. Yes, they were. <laughs> it was on their They're like. Brain. How will people eat breakfast <laughs> in the late 20th century? It's <laughs> such a time-consuming part of our day. <laughs> How can we wake up and have our toast and coffee all ready for us? Oh my gosh. And here's Carla also on the design. Clearly, they didn't know about Steve Jobs and his aesthetic. Yeah. Well, I do think that like, and I'm not, I'm, I'm actually being real when I say that because I feel like movies that are made now about the future, like have a different look to them mm-hmm. than it did in the eighties. Like everything was really boxy and big and, yeah. um, like they just couldn't imagine what it would look like. And at the end of this movie, I mean, Gilliam literally has Robert De Niro swallowed alive by paperwork. Right. Yeah. That missed, was awesome. I missed that part. Carla was, was looking away phone. at that point. I was, was answering really cool. a work email. <laughs> Carla was literally swept away by her phone. So that's the equivalent, you know. <laughs> the satire Text became real life. Hitting you. <laughs> but everything is like clean and streamlined now. Yeah. And Gilliam like clearly wants to show a world that's like full of clutter. Right. And uh, it's interesting to think that they couldn't imagine like not having paper. I know, right. yeah, you're just like, yeah, the, the just absence of any like technology. Yeah. And the technology looks new but old. Right. Like, exactly. Like if this had been made f- even just five years later, I think it would look totally different. <laughs> totally different. Yeah. 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 My favorite kind of subtle joke is when he first runs into Michael Palin in the lobby and, uh, and he says, give my love to, uh, to the twins and he says triplets triplets my how time flies <laughs> uh i'd like to think that uh that tom stoppard wrote uh, a fair amount of the jokes in this he passed away not too long ago right i believe he's still alive still oh alive, yeah so i think hey. he is i don't know <laughs> 27 b stroke six by the way which is the form that you have to get to uh to have your your air conditioning yeah. ducts repaired yes. apparently um that is uh, a reference to George Orwell's flat was 27B oh. on, on the sixth floor. Oh, so that's interesting. Uh, that's a little subtle joke there. Um, the Catherine Hellman face stretching, Carla said, gross. That's <laughs> fucking gross. So gross. It was. But I loved it. <laughs> if you've seen Star Trek Insurrection. Nope. <laughs> there is. It's one of the worst Star Trek movies. They have a f- lot of face stretching scenes in that. <laughs> Who's in Insurrection? Is that... Old school or new school? It's the next generation. Okay. It's the third one. And it has F. Murray Abraham as the main bad guy. That they're on this planet that they get young, but these guys have not, and they have to stretch their faces. It doesn't make sense, and it's dumb. Tom Stoppard (laughs) is still alive. He's 82. I was thinking of Harold Pinter, who died in 2008. Oh, Pinter. (laughs) Yes. Different, much different writers. Different guy. Totally different guy. Tom Stoppard is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yep. 
Harold Pinter. Why is, do I confuse those two in my brain? They're both British playwrights, right? Yeah. And then the plastic surgeon is played by Jim Broadbent. Yes. Carla said, oh, it's what's his butt. It's what's his butt. <laughs> <laughs> but a young Jim Broadbent is, is weird to look at, uh, definitely. And he also appeared in Time Bandits. He plays the game show host of the show, uh, that the, the parents are watching and that the end, uh, evil kind of, uh, transforms himself in the body of Jim Broadbent when he's trying to, Ah, uh, Time Bandits. We'd oh, love to see it again, bandits. right, folks? We're have to talk about it again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Carla said, "That's Mona, right? Look what? at her hat. It's a shoe." <laughs> it, no, it, it is so silly. Yeah. Like I think it's hilarious it's that so like great. they're like ah, this will be fashion in the future. This person put a shoe on their head. <laughs> it's a leopard print high heel, and it does kind of look high fashion. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't. I mean, it's silly, but it looks like that could be on the runway. I just love that style of like it's just so stupid that yeah. it's fun. Like you know, yeah. making fun of fashion. Right. Like, I'm gonna put a shoe, like a literal shoe, on your yeah. head. That's so <laughs> I think good. It's funny. <laughs> And then she's got her friend who's kind of competing her uh, oh, for, yeah. for plastic surgery and her young uh, daughter with the braces who they're trying to fix up with Sam. Yeah. Uh, that woman doesn't really have any lines, but she has a lot of great takes. She's of- so great. She's like the um, she's like the daughter in Pride and – no. What am I thinking of? Sense Carla? and Sensibility? No. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, it's Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Darcy. <laughs> Darcy's getting set up with this cousin or whatever, but she's really sick is my point. Like mm-hmm. she's a sick girl, basically. And so every time he sees her, he's like, I can't, I can't get it. I can't be attracted to her because she just has no personality because she's been sick her whole life. Yeah. And I love the turn in this movie where she's like, actually, I don't like you either. Yeah, it was great. I, I was I... like, this is brilliant. The way that they turned that like kind of iconic dynamic or whatever so that she has power and is like, I'm not into you. Yeah, I, I did love that. That was a fun moment. That is funny. Uh I also love that in the dream sequence of the skyscrapers exploding out of the bucolic green countryside. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a particularly cool one as well. Uh, another actor who became more famous later, Bob Hoskins has yeah. a small yes. part. Yes. Who framed Roger Rabbit? He actually looks like Mario in that, <laughs> that movie. Yeah, he does. Like, oh, it's Mario and Luigi in this. I remember th- hearing that he was British when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And being like, that doesn't make any sense. I think this is the first movie I've ever seen where he has his British British accent. Oh, really? Yeah. You never seen Mona Lisa? Nope. Oh, that's a great movie. That was uh, he was nominated for best actor for for that one. Yeah, I think Hook was the first time uh, where I was like, is oh, he Smee and Hook? Shmi, yeah. That's right. Uh, that's... I did see that a ton when I was a kid. I yeah. didn't know it was him. Probably. <laughs> I love that movie. But yeah. he can't be British because he's so American. Because he talks like this, yeah. right? In uh, Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 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 Could have fooled me. Could have fooled me. I thought he was American. <laughs> and today, that's still the accent that all British actors use when they need to be a tough American. <laughs> is the Bob Hoskins Roger Rabbit? Yep. Patty cake. Oh. Patty cake. Oh my god. I think another of my favorite visuals is De Niro ziplining off of oh. the building into just nothingness. Yeah, all of a sudden he's just in the square, like window basically, or whatever it is, and he's gone. That that is so cool. Um the the guys in the office are watching Casablanca at one point, too. Yeah. There's a little homage to another top ten movie on uh, Craigslist. Um, I love Ian Holmes' reaction to the refund check. Like, 
uh, like there's so, there's so much bureaucracy here of just the idea. They've never had a refund check before. Uh, it'll, it's blowing his mind that he even has to get rid of it. And so just like Sam being willing to take the hit on it. I, I love how you and home plays that. I like that relationship. Yes. He's like, oh, good. You're going to yeah. fix this. You're you you do- can never leave me, right? Yeah. You're never going to leave, right? <laughs> like he's so anxious yeah. all the time. <laughs> And that look of those old kind of green screened computers with these giant like lenses, yeah. uh, magnifying lenses in front of them. Yeah, there's is, a shot is so weird where he's watching and it, it comes around and you see his big face. Yeah. In it. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I love I like that shot like that too. And then he gets promoted, uh, to the, the head of the ministry is this guy, Mr. Helpman, who is played by Peter Vaughn, who Peter Vaughn and Catherine Hellman, by the way, uh, were the ogre and his wife in Time Bandits. Right. Um, Peter Vaughn, a great British actor, I think only died a couple of years ago. He lived to be in his nineties, but, uh, he is, uh, he was the maester at, uh, at the wall in Game of Thrones. Oh yeah. That, uh, that Jon Snow was dealing with. And then he's <laughs> John Snow had to deal with a lot. Yeah, Jon yeah. Snow, like the ending of that show, <laughs> and dying, like he died yeah, at one yeah. point. Remember he when died. he died? <laughs> he knows nothing. Um, uh, but Peter Vaughn also played Anthony Hopkins' dad in Remains of the Day. Remember, he's oh, when he hires his dad yeah. as a butler, and he's like always fucking stuff wow, up. And he was really old then. Yeah, but he lived for another twenty years yeah, after that. Great. Yeah. I mean, I think he was in his nineties when he was in. I mean, this is something we can all aspire to, truly. (laughs) Uh, oh, the use of those creepy baby masks throughout too, like in the dream and then. Yes. So scary. And I remember when I saw those like thing in the weird pup, like how they were, I was like, I remember this part. I remember being scared so much by it. It Like, yeah. Anytime you have those weird cheeky baby masks and anything, <laughs> I'm done. Yep. <laughs> okay, I'll have to rethink your Christmas present this year. <laughs> <laughs> Craig plans his Christmas presents in way January. Way in advance. Way in advance. <laughs> this is Carla about halfway through. I can't believe this is your third favorite movie of all time. There's nostalgia for this one big time, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, it's. A, I did like this. Well, we'll talk about it. Okay. And I'll I'll say this like, but it's not like a top ten. Gr- granted, uh, I think when you look at everything else, I just broke everything around him. <laughs> there goes my baby mask. His, his baby mask is broken. <laughs> oh no, it keeps breaking. Uh, I guess I get something else. I'll I mean, get that velvet Elvis. For- compared to everything else, toward the top of my list, like. I've got a lot of Oscar winners and all-time favorites and movies that, for the most part, everybody likes. This is easily, of the top ten, the most idiosyncratic choice, I mm-hmm. think. It's not like this movie is not respected, but I, you don't see it showing up on a lot of best-of lists. And I think it has its detractors, people who either don't get it or don't care for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think, because it's, it's more of a, a singular vision... And it's also, it's off-putting in, in a lot of ways too. So I get and respect people who, who don't love this movie. And I would think that maybe, yeah, like we would get it and stuff, but watching it from the first time as a younger person now would be kind of maybe dated yeah. a little bit. I mean, the themes and ideas are still relevant, right. but, but I'm imagine, wondering. imagine being 16 and seeing this. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's test when it, it out. Let's go find a 16. <laughs> yeah, what are we doing? Let's do a new Craigslist. Lure it's them a, to a, our house. An offshoot. <laughs> but I mean, seeing it when it came out, you know, if you're me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. <laughs> That's why I said I would, that. If I would have seen that movie when it came out, I would have been in awe. That's why I said it's an, a lot of nostalgia, I'm sure. Yes. That's okay. <laughs> I still loved it, too. Yeah. I've been watching it now. When he does get promoted to information retrieval and he shows up at that office and it looks like it's this floor that's like just totally dead. Oh, and then yeah. like way in the distance, you see the boss like being followed by this trail of people. And then it's almost like this army kind of so like cool. marching I through. But the sheer size of that set, yeah. right? Cause that's not an effect. No. That's a set it was that strange. is that big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's mind blowing. And then they take him to his office, which is this tiny little office. And Carlos said, it's like our apartment. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy on the other side of the wall, Harvey Lime, which must be a reference to Harry Lime, who's Orson Welles from uh, The Third Man. Um (laughs) <laughs> they share one desk that yeah, gets that is pulled great. back This is my forth. favorite bit in the whole movie. I love, really? this bit. I love this bit. It's so funny. I mean, it's definitely like mapped out. Yes. <laughs> you know, but and you see it coming, but it's very enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting and really just like weird and random. And I but love then it the character sense. too. Oh, I, I love that. I, that was like one of my favorite characters. Yeah, was the love. He's like too. just like blocking him. I want to like, follow that guy's life. What's yeah. he doing at night? <laughs> Yeah, uh, what does he say? Computers are my specialty. (laughs) Uh, that guy's Charles McKeon, who's the other co-writer along, along with Gilliam Ah. and and Stoppard as well. So he wrote himself uh, a good little bit. Yeah, he's getting it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and you see the desk move once, see the desk move twice, and Carla said, classic, has to happen a third time. (laughs) And it does, and it's so satisfying. (laughs) She knows comedy. It does capture office tedium pretty well. Yes. And I love too though when he goes next door to like see who's doing this and you see the guy's office, you kind of get why he's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like he's not just being a dick, he also just like needs more space. Yeah. <laughs> more desk space. I I looked at it and I was like, "Oh man, if that were my office." <laughs> I would hate life. Like the square. You go, you show up, you walk into this like blank door room, you go to this small thing, and that's your life for like. Really gives me anxiety to think about it. Yeah. And that's probably true in other parts of the world. Yes. We're talking about Russia. (laughs) Russia. Russia. (laughs) Russia, if you're listening. (laughs) They're they're already tapped in. Russia, can you hear me? (laughs) They've already changed it all. Russia. (laughs) Instead of Brazil, he does a new version. It's Russia. Whatever's. Another one of the subtle jokes that I like when they go to uh, Palin's office, you know, which is where they're torturing people. Every time you say Palin, I can't. I know Sarah Palin. I think of Sarah Palin immediately. Oh, Russia! (laughs) (laughs) We can see it from our house. Oh my god! (laughs) I'm referring to Michael Palin. Yes, of course. I know. I know. Jack is his character. So Jack, the torturer. Did you catch what the stenographer is writing at her desk? Oh, I. No, I didn't. So, you know, Sam kind of comes in. She's this pleasant lady. She's just kind of typing away. When you look at like her dot matrix, uh, uh, printer, it's, j- it's literally, she's typing out a transcription of the torture that's going on. So all it says oh. is like, help, please stop. Oh, stop. Oh, help me. <laughs> I, oh and at the end when the, uh, 
when the the team of engineers, uh, Buttle uh, and his team, kind of come in, and there's this big gunfight and everything, then it's like uh, she's typing out like "pow, wham, bang," like all the explosions <laughs> oh, that are going on. I totally missed that. That's I great. I didn't see that. <laughs> That's really great. Jonathan Price just a really great physical actor as well. So I think you know he doesn't have a lot of dialogue in this, but uh, just his facial expressions. You know, like he is, there is like a Stan Laurel thing mm-hmm. going on there. Um, and he's had a great career and finally got an Oscar nomination for the first time in his career this year. He should have gotten it for that Glenn Close movie he did a couple years ago. Yeah, he oh, was yeah. great in that. that was he was a good. bastard. Yeah, in that, but it was it was a great performance. Yeah, it really was. was. It was awful. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the two popes? I have not seen the two I popes yet. Yeah, it's oh, all right. No. It's all right, it's but it's about like Catholicism. Like, what are we? <laughs> oh boy, I've, I lived it. I don't need to <laughs> exactly. watch it. <laughs> They're pretty well cast. Like, if you look at Pope Francis, of they're like, both incredible actors too. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Price and Hopkins. You know, of course, they were going to get Oscar nominations for it. They're uh, playing, you know, important, important popes, real life, <laughs> important popes, important popes. <laughs> Jeez. When uh, he then finally sees Jill in the yes. lobby, the girl of his dreams, she has, of course, no idea who this guy is, thinks he's just another suit um, who's who's there to obstruct her. Uh, but, but he then kind of starts following her around. Uh, and then she kicks him out of her cab. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Carl said, oh, Jesus, did he die? <laughs> yeah, there's still like 45 minutes left. I, love the, I love the slow misses with yeah. her all the time, like yeah. the elevator and you know the things. There's... That's right. He thinks he's gonna stop, and the elevator yeah. just keeps going down. That yeah. actually made me stress out because it's like that dream where you're trying to get somewhere and you can't get there. Yeah, totally. Like that's what this whole movie was for me, quite honestly. <laughs> like yeah. you're just running, trying to get somewhere, and you cannot get there. Mm. I mean, I have those dreams all the time. <laughs> I really yes, do. you do. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is this a dream? Is this a dream? Wake up. You can never finish this podcast. <laughs> There's no movies named Brazil. <laughs> the ugliness of the industrial areas too, but the way that are like lined with billboards so you only see advertisements if you're just kind of driving down. Driving. But as they, they pan wider, you see like this kind of like bombed out countryside or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but that shot of like those nuclear reactors, like this futuristic looking city, and then there's a bum who appears in the, uh, and then you realize it's a tiny model of the futuristic city that it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like that, that is such a great shot as well. Um, that one little joke, uh, at the mall with the Santa of like, what do you want for Christmas? Ooh, my own credit card. Oh, <laughs> consumers for Christ. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> that was like, I laughed. I love this little joke. <laughs> And Carla said, oh, me too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> you know why you can't have your own credit I card. I know. Consumers yeah. for Christ. Consumers <laughs> for Christ is so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. It's such a dumb joke, yeah. but I love it. It's good. And then he's trying to like uh fight Jill for the package, right? And then he runs into his mother's friend and uh yeah. and Jill kinda goes to the other side of the mirror and so it just looks like he's That's fighting such himself. A cool shot. It was, yeah, that was really, really cool. well staged. Yeah, an oppressive fascist state, not as funny now as uh, as it might have been then. Well, it was I mean, it was probably just as relevant then, right? Yeah. I mean Reagan if and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and like the Th- Thatcher was, was in right? power then. Yeah. yeah. Also, like the bombings, you know, there's terrorist bombings that are going on throughout this movie. I mean, this is when the uh, IRA really was doing bombings in London yeah. at, at that oh, time. Yeah. So, oh, that scene—the um, first time you see a bombing and it happens as they're eating 
brunch or whatever and like they just continue to eat and the the maitre d puts up a screen so they don't see what's going on yeah. is like hilarious but horrifying like equal parts it was i mean that's what i love about this movie is like all this dark stuff's happening but life still goes on it did remind me of that scene in la story Which where one? the earthquake happens and they're all just eating oh right and the, they're just like oh i'll just get a lime on my yeah. tea or whatever oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was, i mean obviously that would keep first but it's like a, i'd like a to see that movie again i've not seen in that in years i would like to see that, that is movie a good movie well. yeah. the music does not hold up really okay and what? the outfits do not hold okay up. but i early love 90s, that movie right early 90s it's like 91 yeah. I love that movie. It's one of my It's top. a tough time for fashion. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've seen it since I've lived in LA and there's been so many movies that I've gone back and seen since I've lived here that I've seen in a whole new light. That one has then. a musical at the top of the and like and then yeah. the hot dogs flying through the air. <laughs> like I uh I actually do think about that movie. <laughs> Like, especially when we were going through the drought here, cause in it, it's like, oh, it's always 75 degrees. I think he says something yeah, like 78 like 70, degrees. 70, 70. Yeah. And I'm like, not anymore. No, <laughs> no, that's, that's true. Climate unfortunately. Here. In one of his dreams, he takes off the mask of the samurai creature and it's him. It's just like Luke Skywalker fighting himself yeah, in uh, totally Empire Strikes was Back, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, where'd you get that? <laughs> Jill says to him, just stay away from me. And Carla said, he deserves it. He's acting a fool. Yeah. <laughs> what You're like my mom person. when you watch movies. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what same person would listen to him? He's acting in, he's acting crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a movie. <laughs> yes. Also, I mean, yeah, she's literally the girl of his dreams, but that doesn't give him license to like uh, insert himself into her life right. or, or whatever. Yeah. I do love when he destroys the pneumatic tubes at the office oh, yeah, and crams them. Yeah. And then it's like, the it's raining paperwork. That's so yeah. cool. That's really cool. What if they decided to keep paperwork just for that scene? Like paper. Maybe if he was like, what if Terry, ter- what's his name? Terry Gilliam was yeah, like, Terry- Gary Tilliam. Gary T- what if Gary Tilliam was like, there's <laughs> no paper in the future. And yeah, people are really going to complain about this, but I really want to do this one scene where the paper <laughs> falls out like rain <laughs> <laughs> i think that was a then we forgive him right <laughs> uh carla could not watch the sewage scene oh where the oh. they're filling up yeah yeah that's too much <laughs> carla said oh is that shit is that what it is <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so de niro shows up and, and puts the sewage line yep. into their uh their suits yeah, it's really gross gross <laughs> um Sam's coat and hat are kind of Bogart like. Mm-hmm. Like, there's definitely mm-hmm. like a Casablanca vibe going on there. Yeah, at a certain point, everything becomes a fantasy. But I think that's he goes and erases Jill from the record. Right, he goes to Mister Helpman's uh, because he remembers that code to the elevator. Here I am, J H, mm-hmm. which is an anagram for Jeremiah, Sam's father. Um, erases her from the record. Um, and then, uh, and then he says, you're dead. And she says, care for a little necrophilia. Yeah. <laughs> that's is, a great line. Is it? <laughs> I think it's funny. It's darkly funny. I don't know. You didn't like it. <laughs> Carla said, gross. Is that really how the movie ends? <laughs> I thought that was the end of the movie. I thought the last line of the movie was, Brazil. <laughs> I really did. I was like, oh my god, that's the last line Care of the film. Nec- I mean, it's funny, Carla. Come on. <laughs> it's funny. It is funny. 
But I thought I seriously thought the movie was over. Oh well, that right. You don't want it to end on that line. No, <laughs> no. that's well, that's like I, a bad edit in an improv scene. I think it it is a tease on Gilliam's part too, which is like I've got my hero and my heroine together. They're about to make love, uh, and then I think it, then it like pans to like the clouds, right? Like we're gonna yeah. end it there, but then a bunch of you know thugs, uh, yeah. you know the army repels in and. Um, they, they take him to the, uh, the torture chamber. So everything, everything for the moment that De Niro reappears then is a fantasy, right? In yeah. Sam's head. Wow. That shot of oh. Palin walking in from the back and he turns around and he's got the, the, the baby mask on. Uh, is, no, is I can't so, do it. It's so I great. honestly, I was, I think Val was, I was like, I can't. Baby mask. Like, why? Why a baby mask? I love that we know what your weakness I is. Now. <laughs> Carla said, it's just like before in his dream. <laughs> and here's Carla and Michael Palin. He's just doing his job. He is. He's just doing, and he's trying to be nice about it. Yeah, he really is. He's very proper British about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so the ending is basically the short story and occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Did you ever remember oh. reading that in school? I feel like I saw. Didn't? Isn't there a movie? There is also a short film. It I was. Saw a, it. it was also. It's the only time that a Twilight Zone episode aired that was not made by Rod Serling. Oh. Twilight Zone literally bought the short film, which I think was a French short short film, and showed it as a Twilight Zone episode. Oh, wow. But Occurrence that of Owl Creek Bridge was written by Ambrose Bierce, I think, around the turn of the century. And it's about a soldier who's about to be executed, right? He's about to be hung. And then suddenly he gets rescued and then it's all about the chase and, yeah. uh, and how he escapes. And then you realize these are all the fleeting thoughts that he had just before his neck snapped. Oh, it's, they That's very showed hilarious. us that in oh, sh- grade school or maybe middle school. What? They showed that to you after in grade we, school? After we read the story and I was haunted by it. Yeah. And I didn't realize till just now that that's what Brazil is referencing here. Yeah. But that makes total sense. And I think it's probably, it's been ripped off many times since then, of course. Like, right. The whole idea I of, guess. yeah. Yeah, that shot where it just pulls out and you see the scope of everything. Yeah. Scary. But yeah, as he's running and escaping and then he goes to, uh, the, the funeral where he sees the young version of his mom, which is played by Kim Greist. Yeah. You know, uh, in Catherine Hellman's wardrobe. Um, the, the, slimy remains of uh, his oh, mom's yeah. fridge just pours so out yeah. oh nast that's very Monty Python yes uh, actually the grossness of that but I think it began to occur to Carla of like I don't think this is real you yeah. said he just fell through the sky he fell through a coffin <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's going somewhere else but yeah I mean believe me that first time I saw it where you know not knowing any of these storytelling tricks or whatever and just accepting that everything I was seeing was you know was the truth and then cutting back to Peter Vaughn and Michael Palin looking at it like we've lost him Jack yeah. uh and then just so Sam alone humming the tune Brazil to yeah. himself and escaping into his dreams um and so this is the difference in the ending. Yeah. Um, in Gilliam's original ending, uh, they, they say that line, we, we've lost him. It cuts to Jonathan Price's kind of like deranged face, just kind of singing the song. They, they pan back out and then it's just him in that bleak, uh, gigantic interrogation room and then the credits roll. 
And then that's a fucking bummer ending. Yeah. But in the movie that we watched, in the movie that I saw in 1985 when it came out, it then reveals those clouds from the beginning, the clouds of his dream. And then everything kind of goes away except just that little path Mm -hmm. that they were taking. And then just Sam in the chair and he's lost alone in the clouds again. So it's amazing how one tiny editorial choice can make the difference between the most nihilistic bleak ending and something that's kind of beautiful. I think the idea that he, that the state cannot bring him down, that he can escape into his dreams. And I think that's crucial into my reading of the movie and my love for the movie. So that's why the girl that I took on a date to did did not care for it. And I was like, "Eh, I, that's not the movie. You know, it's, it's so, (laughs) it's the tiniest thing, but it does make a huge difference. And it bumps me out. Also, I think that Terry Gilliam can't recognize that, that, yeah. that that is a, a crucial choice. I think. Just when they keep going in and touching their movies. Yeah. It's like, like stop it. Fucking stop it already. Stop it. And then we were watching it on Amazon Prime and it does one of those things when the credits start rolling, it immediately like clicks over to something else. Yep. And Carla said, it wants you to watch Howard's End where I stopped watching. <laughs> <laughs> Which is excellent, by the way. The TV show that aired on PBS. With Haley Atwell and Matthew McFadden. Was wonderful. Right? Everybody should watch it. The movie with Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson, also good. But this, this miniseries that they just did a couple years ago. It's Amazing. four hours long. It's oh. Amazing. It's great. All right. Good Just to know. know. <laughs> All right, Nick, you want to give this movie a letter grade? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to give it a B plus. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's B plus. nice and generous of you. What, yeah. what are your In favorite? In college, I think I'd probably give it an A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could, You've seen a lot more movies. Yeah, I've seen now. a lot more movies. What are your favorite movies? Uh, Stand By Me. Mm. Wow. I love that movie. That's like one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. Um Rob Reiner, Stephen King. Yeah. I mean, it, like, I was a huge Stephen King kid growing up. So, like, anything, The Shining. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. So, are you watching The Outsider? I'm not watching The Outsider yet, but I was watching Castle Rock, which I wasn't too into. Yeah. I liked the first season. I gave up on the second yeah, season too, of it, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Carla, letter grade? I'm also going to give it a B. Plus, nice. But I did like it. I mean, a B plus would say that I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a close A minus for me. And yeah. it's actually something I would watch again. Wow. I would definitely watch it again now that you've said some things that I didn't pick up on. Yeah, me too. And I'd like to actually see it if there's ever a revival on a big screen. I think that's the those are the circumstances yeah. under which I'd want to see it again. That's a good idea. Seeing it on the big screen with that scope I think would be really cool yeah. to watch. It's a visual delight. It I mean, really is. Lots of really cool things to to look at. Yeah, it's staying in the top ten, people. Yes. I don't know if it's still going to be in that third. But is it spot? better than ET? I don't know. I mean, well, ET is. I love ET. Me too. Except when he's like bloated in a <laughs> river. In I the, was like, in the ravine. ET. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like it was horrifying. It's still horrifying. We just watched like, it. Did he just do like a bunch ago? of crack and like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you have some rough times? Did you cry at the TV commercial with grown up Henry Thomas? Uh, it was e. it was pretty awesome. I was like, well, they could do a sequel. <laughs> <Totally. I'm> sure. <laughs> I'd watch. I it. sobbed at that commercial. That was a good. That was good. I think I'm gonna move it after It's a Wonderful Life. But ahead of Casablanca. Ooh. So it's moving down a notch or two, but it's staying right here in the top 10. Great. You want to do a little improv scene? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, uh, 
let's say that, you know, uh, so Sam is still alive at the end of the movie. I don't know if he's totally, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know if he's catatonic or, or whatever, or, but I imagine his mother would have to take care of him. Yes, probably. Uh, and so, uh, would you rather play, uh, Jim Broadbent, the plastic surgeon, or would you rather play Sam? I'll play Jim Broadman. Okay, great. Yeah, so you're the, sure. so you're, the, you're the doctor. You're Catherine Holman. I'm Mona. You're Mona. <laughs> well, her name, her name is not Mona. I think we know who's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> I think we answered that question. Wait, what are the other characters' names again? Um, who are you? You're Sam. Sam I'm Sam. Lowry. And you're. I'm Jim, Jim Broadman. Doctor Jim Broadman. Doctor Jim Broadman. Okay. Broadman. <laughs> I'm Tony Danza, and you are Mona Lowry. <laughs> Wait, and what's the circumstance? Did we say just we're just doing something? This is just after Sam has lost his mind at the end oh, of the okay. movie, and he's living with his mom again. Sweetheart, what do you think of my new eyelids? Oh, they're very, very nice, mother. Very nice. Is not good enough, Doctor Jim Broadbent. I'm terribly sorry. I, I, I have a new. I have a new uh, procedure that I want to show you. But it's all about eyelids. Oh, okay. Well, of course, I'm in. Uh, yeah. Interested. Uh, put these oranges on your eyes. All right. And the acidic nature of them will pull the hair out of your eyelids. Oh, oh, I feel something. Oh, ow, ow, ow. I'm flying through the cra- clouds right now. Get back down here. What? Ah, where do you think you're going? I've told you, you can't just fly away whenever mommy's dealing with her doctor. I need to escape. Please, mother, let me. We all need to escape. Isn't that right, doctor? I escaped a long time ago. Well, congratulations. In in my mind, you're a giant samurai warrior with stone arms. What is he on? (laughs) And how do we get it? I have a question for you. Yes, mother. Who's the boss? Well, you're the boss. Of course, course. you are the right. boss. Thank you. Glad we settled it. Right. Though I do have a number of bosses that I've worked for. But who's the boss? Well, the boss is you, of always. Course. Thank She's you. the one that gets you the job. She's your boss. I can't see anything. Can, can... Oh, let me take the oranges <laughs> off your eyes. Yes, there you are. And now we're going to put persimmons on your eyes. Oh, I love persimmons. Yes, we're going to spice your eye up. I feel spicy. Mm, Dr. Yes. Jim Broadbent, I feel spicy. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, what, Is that from the never-ending story? He's on catatonic again. <laughs> Wake up. Where are these clouds coming from? Yes, oh, it looks like cumulus clouds. <laughs> never-ending story. See, <laughs> yes, we got it, Carla. Ah. We went to never. It is never-ending story it for is. adults. Let's just. <laughs> this podcast has been a never-ending story. <laughs> oh, but that story is coming closer and closer to ending, oh, Carla. I'm so happy you had me on it. We got one, got two, more? two more. Two we more. We got two more. Two more after this. Wow. Just two. The big two. Nick, thank you so much for joining Thanks us. For You're me. awesome, was, Nick. We you love guys you. Are awesome. Where can people find you online? Um. <laughs> Twitter at Nick Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Energy on Instagram. Yeah. And um, I perform regularly at the West Side Comedy Theater. Yeah. And they want to see me live. You also um, have this amazing thing where you have improv camps for adults. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> improv Utopia. You yeah. You can see that, improvutopia.com. It's a summer camp for adults, archery, axe throwing, and improv. Yeah. And so you go and you spend a weekend... 
three or four days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to hang out with other adults who like to improvise during the day, but then there's also all kinds of activities. Tons of stuff. Yeah. And, and it's a wide range from newbies to experienced yep, improvisers and over. great teachers from all over the world. Including you both. We've yeah. both taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do the Yosemite one yep. every year. There's one in Southern California. Cambria, <laughs> yeah, Cambria, Central Coast, Yosemite, uh, in the Poconos in Pennsylvania and Ireland. Amazing. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. So that's improvutopia.com. Improvutopia.com. Yes. Okay, cool. And you're the co-owner oh boy, of an comedy. improv theater in Denver. Yes. Called? A Voodoo Comedy. I know you said it, but I was talking no, about it. No, so it's what did totally you good. <laughs> yeah, it's voodoocomedy.com. It's in Denver. We do improv, stand-up, sketch, it's everything. It's an awesome theater. A, Are yeah. you Nick's agent? Yeah. Um, yes. I'm very proud of him. I'm like his mom. Yeah. Like, tell everybody what you're doing. She has quotes all the time. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of agents, I'm going to make you an offer you can't oh. refuse Uh-oh. that you have to watch my second favorite movie. Okay. <laughs> and this came out in 1972. It's uh, it's the fucking Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Speaking of oranges, <laughs> <laughs> lots of oranges. Oranges are uh, a motif throughout the movie, I right? Think I'll probably watch this one all the way through. It's about three hours long. I've seen it a couple times already. Yeah, but I'm interested. You watched yeah. all of Godfather too? Yeah. What about three? We don't have nobody. <laughs> nobody. Nobody has to watch bring that. Bring you back in, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so, Craig's listeners, we'll see you again in a week for. The Godfather. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.